Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, hello. And we also welcome back uh, our elite, irregular, and perhaps more irregular than usual uh, panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, all of you gamers. Uh, so, Bruce, uh, I think we, we brought you directly here from a shift at the hospital, uh, yeah. and you are burning with wargaming passion mm-hmm. to talk about uh, two-by-three games, War in the West, which is, I guess, ostensibly a sequel to War in the East, but really it's such a, it feels to me like such an apples and oranges thing. It feels more like a yeah. different companion volume. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, it's basically... Uh, an uh, artist's impression of uh, what the war in the West would have been if it had been uh, spawned from Barbaros. So, yeah, let's let's get into this a little bit. So uh, a few years ago, we talked a lot about uh, Gary Grigsby's War in the East. And I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot of us were surprised by how much we liked it, because I think with Gary Grigsby and that, that brand of war game, uh, it tends to be associated with maybe the spiritual descendants of Avalon Hills, like Third Reich, just ginormous, detail-intensive, sprawling mm-hmm. war games that try to both encompass the massive sweep of an historical period and campaign, mm-hmm. but also drill down into surprising layers of minutia and management and try to represent all of that uh, authentically. And the problem with doing that in a lot of cases is that it makes uh, sort of the problem space incredibly unwieldy uh, unwieldy uh it poses interface problems it poses comprehension problems for the player and yet war in the east i think largely transcended those um and i was very very excited uh when war in the west was in the works but it's taken us a little while to get around to it mm-hmm. um See, i wasn't what- excited but, you you weren't so yeah. Why don't you why don't you sort of set some of the stage for what your expectations and apprehensions were around War in the West and uh, what it sort of has in common with War in the East and then where it departs. Well, I think that um, War in the West is like you said so different from War in the East because I think the camp, the, the the theaters were completely different. Um, there's an interesting, I think, comparison we can make between games in the board game space, which is there is a set of games called, well, there was one game called um, The Russian Campaign. There's also a game called The African Campaign. But then there was another game uh, that was that came out, um, this is all back in the 80s, about the uh, war in Western Europe, designed by the same guy who did The Russian Campaign. So The Russian Campaign was, I think, a really... Uh, very it advanced the sort of the art of hex wargaming a lot that had odd things like double impulses and overruns and things that uh, the the flagship Eastern Front game at the time, which was Stalingrad, didn't have. It was Stalingrad's actually not a very good game, um, but it's amazing how uh, the the same concept of just you know hexes and counters and numbers on them can be so different between two games and uh russian campaign which i think came out in 70 i want to say 76 yeah i think it was 76 76 or 78 um it did exactly what stalingrad couldn't do which is that it turned this uh, eastern front from uh, from a plotting sort of move your hexes count the odds game into this very 
free-flowing encirclement. Uh, everything that you would that you associate with the Eastern Front was in uh, the Russian campaign, and the game is the game is still, I think, a, a classic. Hang on, can about, I interject here? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, just because, I, I, like, how uh, I'm picturing like a 1970s, 80s era board game, and I'm trying to figure out how it could introduce like that amount of flow and dynamism to the form basically because my impression of games from that era is always very uh very like simple we go systems with just lots of combat resolution tables to uh leaven out the subject matter well the, the difference in in um, so the problem stalingrad was the was the 19 i think stalingrad came out in 63 so stalingrad was your standard uh hex you know, it was a it was a I go you go kind of system, uh, classic uh, combat results tables. Uh, you know the ALM DLM, you know exchange A retreat D retreat kind of things. Uh, it's a system that worked that that I think worked for some situations much better than others. It did not work for the Eastern Front, um, and what you got was this very sort of plotting, almost World War One type. Uh, progression of, of movement and combat that was very slow and it had nothing to do with the asymmetry of the Eastern Front. But the Russian campaign is actually a very, it's a core level. So, you know, the, there aren't that many counters. I mean, compared to, you know, what a normal person would would expect in a game, but there's a bazillion counters. But uh, it's, it's at core level, you can put it on a, a single kitchen table and play it relatively um, relatively easily. The things that, that worked with that game were, for example, uh, there were two impulses. So you had units that not only differed in their movement values, so you know, infantry would have four movement points and armor would have seven, or infantry would have maybe three if they were Russians. But then they had different movement in the second impulse. So uh, an armor unit might have seven movements in the seven movement points in the first impulse, but then four movement points in the second impulse, and inf infantry would have zero. So it introduced this whole idea of creating a breakthrough for your armor and then being able to move your armor before your opponent could That's move really anything clever. at all. Right. And the other thing was that um, it introduced the idea of um, these odds modifiers in terms of stukas. So the Germans had three stukas. Uh, that they could allocate to any combat, and if you the the Stukas basically uh, move the odds by three columns. So if you had a seven to one attack, so a ten to one attack was an automatic overrun, which was very hard to get. Um, but if with uh, well, it could still get it. The Germans could could do it on the first turn. You could you could do a lot of things, but on, but you could then add these Stukas to combat to move the the odds uh, three columns up. So a seven to one attack became an overrun. So the, the whole game, especially the, the early phases, turned into this sort of dance of getting your combat factors exactly where you needed them to break river lines and push your panzers you know, behind people and then encircle them, um, keep them from moving um, on the opponent's turn. Um, it was almost, it was a very, um, you know, sort of, puzzly in a way because people would would make the, you know the russians would set up they had a they had a not they didn't have a fixed setup they, they had units that set up in different um military districts but then within that 
district you could set up any way you wanted and then the germans got to pick that apart and you know if you had you misplaced one unit where you just needed one more factor but you didn't have it and the german figured that out then all of a sudden it's 21 to 3 which is 7 to 1 with a stuka it's 10 to 1 boom you know you flood everybody through there uh you know clean up you're in leningrad you know in two turns all this sort of stuff that that was not a uh was really not a um it wasn't something you really saw the, the 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 all the takes on Eastern Front combat. Um, none of them really were this dynamic. I think at the time, uh, I don't remember playing any games that were that dynamic. Um, of course, games were quickly evolving, and there were other people that had tried to do. You know, uh, uh, Lou Cotney tried to do some uh, variants of Stalingrad, which he trying to mess around with different rules but uh, this was one of the first games that i think did really did this but here's the point i want to make and it's just a very long-winded point but i think it might be interesting for people he then made a game called fortress europa in 19 i want to say 80 and fortress europa did exactly the same thing that um that the russian campaign tried to do which is that it was a double impulse uh I don't think that was core level. It might have been division. No, it was core level. I'm pretty, yeah, I think it had to be core level. There's no way that was division level. So yeah, it was a multi-impulse, also core level um, game about the Western campaign. And it did, you, you had everything that, um, that uh, the Russian campaign had and more. And for, for me, I mean, I know there were people that did like Fortress Europa. I didn't like it. That, oh, that, sorry, that's 78. I just looked it up. So so the Russian campaign was 76, and uh, Fortress Europa was 78. And I never really liked Fortress Europa that much, and I, didn't, I think it didn't work because it was trying to apply uh, these principles to a system or to a, to a campaign where the elements of the campaign were really disparate. And you had, you know, you had the invasion aspect, you had strategic bombing, you had uh, two very uh, similar uh, opponents. You know, they both had armor and, uh, you know, they both had, they, they both were well-trained and it didn't really transfer well. And plus the, spa the, the spaces were much more constricted because obviously, you know, coming down uh, you know, the uh, the Normandy Peninsula is a completely different thing from from attacking across, a, a you know, a giant, um, you know, border from the Baltic to the Black Sea. So the game system didn't, I don't think it fit the combatants. I don't think it fit the geography. And I don't think it fit the tempo of that particular campaign. And that's the point I want to make about War in the West, which is that the stuff that Gary Grigsby did for War in the East all had this amazing sort of, um, it was, it would, it just came together perfectly because that campaign was the land campaign that was focused on all these aspects of land combat that everything else was kind of secondary to. I mean, the, the, the air war, which we'll talk about in, in War in the West, oh my God, um, the air war in the East was a completely tactical air war. And, I mean, I'm not saying that, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a blitzkrieg air war. You didn't have any of this other stuff about the strategic bombing, and it, it just doesn't, as soon as you start trying to pull these elements um, apart, or not even pull, but just add these elements that don't fit together as well as they do in the East, I think 
that the game doesn't hold together. Troy, um, I think you were on us with the with the War in the East hype train. Uh, yeah. I'm curious what you make of that. Do you feel that War in the West also, does it feel to you like it isn't holding together, like it's it's trying to encompass too many things? I get, I think it's, the first phase of each of each turn probably captures the distinction. I mean, as Bruce says, you know, the, the air war is very, very different. So you start a turn, and the air phase executes. And there are so many things going on, because there are so many planes in the air, so many attacks and different types of attacks. You have to set all of these different hundreds of priorities, and then it just happened right in front of you, and you have no idea what's going on. You don't know what's attacking from where, you're shown all of, there are so many losses that, okay, you can't get a feeling of where is the problem on your front without digging very, very deep into the menus. There, so that very opening, which shows the, the contrast, we'll have to know, it goes through all the tactical, all the close airstrikes, all of the naval airstrikes, all of the strategic airstrikes on railways and supply depots. All of that is executed all at once. Not in any particular order that I can tell. I haven't looked at the menu to see if it's like, okay, first we do this, then we do this, then we do this. And you're just getting this ticking of this many planes lost, this many planes destroyed in the ground, etc., etc., etc. And a lot of the game kind of felt like that. There's the system they had, and they plug it here on top, and it doesn't quite work as well in the West. I think probably my favorite example, you look at War in the East, and... Even the small scenarios are quite big, but that's okay because war in the East is a are big wars, big fronts. You have to have the space to capture the Barbarossa and the repulse of Barbarossa. Uh, so that's wonderful. There aren't any really good small scenarios to play in the West. They just say, okay, here's a scenario that runs from May 1944 to Berlin. Or they'll give you Tunisia, or they'll give you Sicily, but they won't give you Market Garden. They won't give you the breakout from Normandy. They'll just give you all of this stuff. And then it's not broken up into sensible campaigns. But when we think of the war in the West, we think of it in terms of, okay, phases. There's the Normandy landings. There's a breakout from Normandy. There's the bulge. There's Market Garden. There's the approach to the Rhine. There's uh, the... March up Italy, where everyone gets destroyed. These, as this is how we think of the war in the West, because that's how the battle kind of, well, these are all very different types of encounters, requiring kind of different types of systems and priorities. So instead of giving us those um, in an interesting way, I'm not even sure, I'm not sure that maybe the system can't handle something that small, but I think it can, because some of the Tunisia battles are probably about the right size. There are all of these things stretching from you know, 40, May 44 to 45, or 43 to 45. And, I mean, if I want to play 44 to 45, why are you giving me Italy? I don't need to have Italy there. I just want to have the the march to Berlin. The guys in Italy, they stopped at a certain point. They didn't have to go all the way up. They didn't have to invade Austria. Um they didn't interact really with the other stuff in the war, and I might want to, you might want to say, well, yeah, but it's the whole war, and there's you know there's production and there's leadership and there's all of the other things, and maybe the AI will set its priorities differently. But that's not kind of what I want in a war game. That's not kind of I don't 
I think the I don't think the Grigsby games are great when they dip into the strategic production level of oh you got to make sure you're getting all your your planes are all allocated all your reinforcements are there. I think that's important. I think especially in the East where replacement of equipment is just so so crucial to that entire campaign. It's really less of an issue, kind of in the West. Yes, the Germans have major equipment issues, but the Allies kind of don't, at least not in the same level. They have, yeah, you don't want to lose 500 bombers, but you're going to be fine because you've got a 1,000 bombers. Um, so this whole strategic level kind of throws the whole thing out of whack a bit. I think the bigger the game gets in the West, it gets worse compared to in the East where, you know, the small scenarios are big, but they're great training for the larger scenario, the larger Grand Barbarossa scenario. And I don't get that feeling in the West. I don't feel like there's an actual firm grasp on how this system relates to the war on the ground. I, I think for me... Um... Like I agree with everything that's been said, and I think one thing I've been wrestling with is this feeling of, on the one hand, on paper, I think I like some of what this game is trying to bring across, but then in terms of like actually living with it as a player, I end up really getting frustrated and outright hating uh, so, some elements of this. But like I think on paper, what this game's trying to do is capture this notion of how freaking complicated and interconnected the entire Western theater of operations was at the highest level that you had to be allocating that the resources were being allocated to air campaigns, uh, you know, over, over Northwestern Europe versus air campaigns over Italy uh, that you had to be preparing that conducting any sort of assault or attack required a lot of groundwork and preparation and getting all your logistical ducks in the row. And then even once, you know, forces were ashore, everything was still kind of coming down to balancing your logistics, logistical priorities, which again, that generally is my kind of thing. This idea that at this level of the game, you need to be thinking about, what priority are you giving forces still clawing their way up uh, Italy versus uh, forces that are starting to try and break out uh, in Normandy? Uh, that there's still tension between those things. Um, and yet, at any given moment in this game, I find myself wishing that I could just cut out large swaths of it. Like, mm -hmm. like if I'm having mm -hmm. a good time fighting in France, I kind of just want to put Italy on autopilot for the reasons you said, Troy. Like right now, this is not where the action is happening. I'm like I'm invading France. I've already made my logistical. Like the priority is Normandy. Like I basically backburnered Italy. There's not interesting things happening there, and yet I still need to be going and tending these various fires. Um, I have to be checking in on how the air campaign is progressing, even though, you know, again, like really what am I more concerned about, uh, you know, close air support allocations and how that is affecting the advance of my forces on the ground. And yet there's kind of this like eighth air force simulator uh, built into this game. That... Mm -hmm. Yeah. We should talk about that. 
Yeah, and so like it's this weird thing where on the one hand, well, here's the other thing. Like I think maybe the best elevator pitch, the most charitable elevator pitch I can give for this game is like it's kind of your uh Eisenhower Marshall uh simulator, right? Like to, to the the conversations that are happening at the highest level of allied command, the major fork in the road choices that they have to make about prioritizing uh, one campaign over another, prioritizing various forces and assigning, you know, who's going to be the tip of the spear in this campaign. It's trying to get across all, all of that. But even as I play this and I'm trying to sort of map it onto books I've read about this very subject, it still doesn't map because nobody, nobody handled all of this. Like, like there is no, like nobody that you read about in these books. If you, if you're asking like, who are you in this game? You're kind of nobody. You're on on one level. You are basic. You are George Marshall. Uh, you are Eisenhower, but then also you're you know Tedder or Lemay, uh, and you're also Mark Clark. It's it's this weird. You have so many things that are on your plate, and it's it 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 almost feels like detail for detail's sake, but it doesn't actually get at anyone's experience of Western theater operations as I've come to understand that through the history book. So it doesn't feel like touching history so much as, uh, I don't know, touching history's table of organization and equipment. I don't know. It's, it's, it's this weird, it's this weird thing. Yeah. I, I, I find that the, the, the things that bother me about the game, there's some things I really like about this game. Um, I really I love the idea of the way that that uh, amphibious headquarters target things, mm-hmm. and then they build up their prep points. And then if you decide, oh, I didn't want to invade there, then you change your targeting, but then you lose most of your prep. And so it, it's a very, it's a very it's a ge- I think it's a genius way of uh, of really forcing you to plan where you're going to. Um, where you're going to invade. I think the amphibious invasion part of the game is great. But it, I think it runs... The, the, the thing that bothers me most about the way that War in the West is put together is that it feels much less to me like game design than War in the East did. And I think that that may just be because um, War in the East happened to be about a theater where everything sort of fit together mm-hmm. was synergistic, even though I hate that word. But I'm not sure that you can just take the 8th Air Force and say, okay, instead of strategic bombing, we're going to use it for tactical bombing. I just, I don't, I don't see that being an option. And I don't know that you can design something that way and have it just be so interchangeable, right? Like that we're going to, we're just going to fly these, these bombers as, as tactical support uh, one month and we're going to fly them uh, as, as strategic bombers the next month. Uh, I think it would require a completely, you know, huge doctrinal changes. I mean, they, the, the allies did use the, uh, for example, the breakout from Cobra, they uh, used, um, heavy bombers to just mm-hmm. basically try to flatten the Germans before then. And they famously was, went bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I think a, a good game designer, like if you're designing a game, you think about the elements of your game and what you're going to, what they are going to represent and how, 
and then you implement them in that way. I feel that war in the West is very much this kind of uh, operational art of war type game, which I really don't like, which is that you just make a toolbox and you throw all the stuff mm -hmm. in and say, well, you know, no matter what order I take the tools out of the toolbox, it's, they're still going to work just perfectly together, right? That if I take out, you know, the hammer and then, then I take the nail out, then I'm going to switch hands and put the hammer here. And it just doesn't, it, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a great analogy, but my point is that I, I don't think that things can be can, can function in isolation that way. I think that if you're going to have an 8th Air Force, for example, you have to decide what kind of Air Force that's going to be. You can't just decide that it's going to be a bunch of B-17s and they're going to fly here and bomb this thing today, and they're going to fly there and bomb that thing tomorrow in a completely different way, and then they're going to support these guys, and then it, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit together really historically for me at all, but I just, I think it's a, it, it doesn't work because it forces you to make these incredibly sort of minute decisions about things. I, I, I don't see why you want to have the level of recon in this game that you have when you're making decisions about whether to fly planes on recon missions in a game where you're deciding whether you're flying recon or you're flying uh, heavy bombing, or uh, you're, or you're flying sort of like uh, infrastructure destruction or railroads. I just think that the air module, it, it's it's like the game that, um, it, gosh, it would be like taking World War II and playing every battle as a game of close combat, right? It's just something that just doesn't make any sense from a design standpoint. I don't think it even holds together from a design standpoint. And just like you said, right, you 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 don't care about Italy when all the action's somewhere else. And again, that's the kind of thing that uh, the war in the East didn't have to worry about. And the and and the the excellent design point that I you know that I think they could have done. I mean, why have all that stuff? If you're going to do that, they have an east front box, right, where you can move uh, units to and from the east front box. And based on how many units you put there uh, or take out, that's going to change the movement of that front. Um, and I think that uh, you could do something like that with Italy. Um, frankly, if you're going to do something like that, I would... <laughs> I would just make Italy a freaking giant box for the whole game because as as we know historically it was really just a giant uh resource sink with very right. little uh But this is this is one of the other issues like even doing a game like this right like if you do that at that point why are you making war in the west if you're just acknowledging right. like well this went fucking nowhere cuz cuz that's kind right. of what we're saying right and I think that's, that's the a right move decision. Yeah, but that's fine. You can still call it war in the West. I mean, you're just you're making a decision about the representation of the Italian front in your war in the West game. Now, is that going to be interesting for for people who want to play scenarios about Italy? No. So, you know, then you run into the issue of, well, are you going to have a campaign that includes all this stuff or you do, do you play them separately? I don't know. I, I don't have I don't have an answer to the question. Yeah, it just I doesn't mean, feel like a coherent design to me. I mean, no one says you can't have uh an Italian campaign scenario. Like mm -hmm. if just you know, you, so you take it out of the grand two year, or I guess 
last the whole one year campaign uh, from France to Berlin. So you take that out and you put it in the side box, and you know what? That that's fine. Um, you know, I don't need to be managing troops in Tunisia mm-hmm. when I'm trying to land paratroops uh, in the Netherlands. Right. Uh, but you know, you want that other stuff, you do it. You put it in a separate scenario. You have your Operation Torch. You have your campaign in Sicily. You do all of that stuff separately if you want. Or you sell another game, War in the South. I mean, there's nothing... Make another 80 bucks off that. Uh, so, they're, they're, you know, it's, I, I think it's going to be a good idea to remove those distractions because they become distracting to the player. You have to... You begin to worry about, okay, am I neglecting my troops in Italy? Would it be make sense to move those troops out of Italy and into the south of France? All of a sudden they become something you have to think about. I mean, you can't just try to ignore them. I mean, I did that and no, but that leads to casualties. Um, And I don't like getting my good leaders fired because I just decided to not care about Rome. Uh, I should probably care about Rome. (laughs) This <laughs> uh, Rome is kind of important. Uh, so, I, I, there are. I, I'm a fan of the off map idea, and I, I, I would prefer to see just broken up into smaller chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, yeah, the whole Eighth Air Force stuff. Trying to plan a whole campaign with the Eighth Air Force at the same time, you're trying to plan all of these other things at the same time. I understand why people love these sorts mm-hmm. of games, and I'm sure people sure. do because they are. The type of stuff for those obsessive people who will spend, you know, three hours planning out a turn. Hmm. And well, it's 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 an it's an immersive. I mean, it's, I understand what they what people like. Well, like well, this well, is well, an immer- well, immersive game world. That's what when this you get is. when you get into it, you get really into it. I love that yeah. in the East. Mm-hmm. The war in the East, I get really into. It. I could just sit there and obsess over. Mm-hmm. Where's the breakout going to be? Do I sure. have enough troops to defend here? Sure. But that was because the system worked really, really well for that entire front. Mm-hmm. Having to shift gears into understanding what's going on, like wh- what am I doing in the Netherlands? What am I doing in Italy? What am I doing here? When all the parts don't fit together really well, um, mm-hmm. it just makes me feel it's hard to, break, to get into that immersion because I never get that flow. You never get the sense that, okay, I'm making progress, that everything's leading to something, everything's connected. It is continually shifting from one space to the other in a really odd way. Um, and I'm not sure if it would it might even be better if it was, you know, we go or some sort of continuous time thing instead of turn-based. Because then each turn I'm shifting, I have to shift within a turn, then watch that execute and pay attention to what's going on all the while all these airstrikes are going on. Uh I think it might work better if it was in some sort of continuous time tracking uh, than, than turns. I think that would help me understand the flow better and understand the different fronts better uh, than it does. Because I, I do like this system very, very much in the East, but I had the hardest time getting over the hump in the West. That's probably one reason why it's taken us you know, three years to get around to doing this game. Right, uh, yeah, it's been a while. But I think the, the other, the, ironically, you know, so the... the the thing I was going to say about the, I don't think it works that well in the West. Also, I think that I think the unit density is off. I, I really don't think it works well um, in the in you know the the confines of the West. The the my favorite scenarios are actually from a from a theater that I'm not that interested in. I actually like the Sicilian scenarios, the Operation Husky, and and because it that to me has. The, the right of the right amount of movement versus distance versus planning versus counter density 
And that's the problem with designing a game at the same scale about, I mean, that's, that's one of the problems I think with the Europa games, although they were just, I mean, they're so giant that you couldn't play those, uh, you know, on, on the, on, nobody had a space enough to leave that thing set up, um, which is why it's such a, such a convention draw. Um, but I think that there are plenty of good scenarios in this game. They're just not the scenarios that you're necessarily going to want to play because everybody wants to play, you know, D-Day to Berlin kind of things. And, and it, actually to answer your point, Troy, I think the reason that you have to have these scenarios is this, these camp, these, all these campaigns is that, uh, in, for, we just saw whatever desert war released by matrix. And what's the first thing people jumped on? They jumped on the fact that there's no end to end campaigns. I mean, right? I'm, I'm, fine that, I'm fine that there are end to end campaign scenarios, but that there, you don't have the other parts as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's when that the, that the big scenarios are there. I totally get that. Uh, but yeah, but, but, I mean, but, but Sicily's a good example. It's a fun little scenario. It highlights the, how they do the amphibious stuff, which is kind of cool. Uh, you really do have important st strategic and tactical choices to make about your landing places and what your routes of advance are going to be. You could have that thing for the uh, for just Normandy. You could have that just for the Netherlands, um, and also have here's the Mediterranean, here's the war in the West. And the fact that they didn't, I think. Is it kind of it's it it just gnaws at me in a weird way, and it really shouldn't because you know people like their big stuff and big stuff. I like big stuff. I like big giant grand strategy games. I understand, but I just wanted to play you know the breakup to Kane. I wanted to play. I wanted. To, I didn't want to go through all the trouble of waiting a month to get my Canadians onto Juno Beach. Mm -hmm. I wanted to start close to Juno Beach, make the landing, and see if I can get the Kane before the. To get the con before the uh, English did. Well, That's also, what I want to do. I also think, like, yeah, the way this game feels a lot of times is if it was a board game, it would be a lot of different boards that you could combine into one giant board, mm -hmm. but you never, you absolutely never should. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of how this feels. It also causes a lot of marquee moments to feel incredibly underwhelming because of the scale and the choices they made here. Um, mm -hmm. I hate fighting in Normandy. Uh, it, like I like I do not like it in this game very much because it's just at a large enough scale that Normandy ends up feeling. Um, I mean, and this is accurate. Like this is the story of the summer of '44. Is that mm -hmm. there's too many Allied units stacked up around those beaches trying to bash their way out of the hedgerows until eventually they sort of grind their way through. Within that, you can actually make a lot of great war games and find a lot of great war game scenarios if you zoom in on different operations and areas of that front. But in this map, it feels like the entire Normandy campaign is condensed onto like an, a six hex by six hex grid, uh, basically, of just massive, uh, you know, what you call stacks of doom in another context, uh, hammering away at their German opposition. And on one level, that is a pretty accurate representation of what that came that campaign looked like from a strategic level. But it's also a little bit of a weird thing that like one of the most storied campaigns and one of the most dramatic moments in the war, the moment you've actually launched Overlord or your Overlord equivalent, um it turns into 
kind of a drawn out numbers game. Um, Mm -hmm. And along that route to your eventual breakout, when you start like fighting a war of maneuver in Europe, which is kind of the brass ring you're going for, uh, for a lot Mm -hmm. of this game, but on your way to getting to that moment, I'm not actually that interested in the campaign I'm fighting. It's an awful lot of just like, yep, queue up, commit more forces to ground support, uh, queue up more massive attacks and hope for the best. But there's no moment in which I'm not thinking about, you know, maybe I'd rather be playing the John Tiller version of this. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but like, Mm. (laughs) that's going a little far. I don't know there. Oh my goodness! Uh, look, I, um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm just saying it's a thought that occurs <laughs> to me sometimes when I'm playing this game. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the other thing I want to point out though is um, I get like the the pull toward this immersive experience. Uh, I do like. Oh yeah. I like it is incredibly alluring. It's I like. I think the fact that like when the Total War games came out and it was one of those campaigns where every individual battle added up to a greater story for your entire campaign, that was a huge draw. It's amazing to feel like you're writing your own history uh, of the game. But this encompasses such a mix of high-level decision-making and minutia that it's really hard for me to ever appreciate the sort of strategic forest I'm navigating uh, amidst all those trees like a game a series that i found myself thinking about a lot uh, as i played this game is actually the uh, commander series mm-hmm. uh, because the commander series has a reputation as being you know pretty intro level uh, strategic war games but they make very good those games are very good at boiling these strategic level decisions down to their essence right like you know from the strategic level, resources are extremely stingy. You can't mm-hmm. commit the sufficient munitions and troops to two fronts to make meaningful progress uh, you know, in a season, basically. So mm-hmm. is it going mm-hmm. to be a campaign in the south or is it going to be a campaign in the north? And that choice is extremely binary. You're either, you know, you, you've got you know, two munition units to send to one place. Where are you going to send it? And that's going to determine the course of the campaign for that season. Uh, in this game, I feel like I'm still kind of doing that, but it's by moving individual like grains of logistical sand around. It's, it's a very strange feeling. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel like the essence of good game design is figuring out what's interesting about any given situation and then designing by presenting the player with those interesting things. And I just feel like it doesn't happen. It almost never happens in the computer game space. Uh, it's just, it's, it's this, in, the, the, the desire to, to take advantage of this immersive environment creator is just overwhelming. And, and if, I guess maybe the audience wants that. I don't know. I mean, we just talk about how you hate fighting in Normandy. I bet you wouldn't hate playing Breakout Normandy because, uh, you know, Spoiler alert, unlike the name, it's not about the breakout. It's about getting to the breakout. And uh, it's an amazing game, but it's about that situation. And it's only about that situation. And you're not playing that game system in Normandy and also then playing it in Italy and, uh, you know, the Eastern Front. You're just playing Breakout Normandy. So 
there are a lot of decisions made about the way they model certain things that would make no sense if you added other elements of the campaign to it. But because you're only modeling Normandy, you can look at how these elements affected that thing by itself and represent them in a certain way. So, I mean, that's what really, that's, you know, anybody can make a system and put numbers into it and, you know, make those numbers fight each other. But it really, I think, takes a designer to figure out why someone would want to be involved in a certain situation and then present them with interesting decisions about that situation that are that are interesting and unique to that situation, not just, well, I wonder how I can get 10 factors against these five factors, right? Because that's what some of the old Avalon Hill classics were. Although I will say that, you know, Stalingrad is not a very good game at all. Africa Corps, I think, is, a, is actually a quite a good game. It has some flaws, but it's the same basic system. It's just a different map and different numbers on the counters. But even with things that are so similar, you can get such dramatically different gaming experiences. And I think that that's the same thing with War in the West and War in the East, is that, you know, they're just, things just don't translate that way. And it's only the desire to make really um, detailed sort of virtual world simulators that you then get down into the weeds and, and make all the decisions uh, does, does that make any, I mean, that's the only, that's the only context in which it makes sense. And I use the word sense, uh, sort of loosely. There's, there's a couple of things in this game that like, I do think are really nifty touches that again, it's sort of like you're watching cool landmarks blow past out the window of your car uh, at 16 miles an hour. But like, there's, there's neat touches. Like, um, I like that there is a system within this game to sort of model the uh, command assignment, this like decisions that faced high level commanders in this war, right? Like, uh, you know, cashiering uh, underperforming officers, like the fact that every time a turn cycles, uh, one of the things that's going to influence how much, uh, how many uh, like movement points a unit has is the quality of their leadership. Like, supply, all these things weigh in, but, like, there are also, like, substandard commanders exist within this game. And what are you going to do about that, right? Like, and the fact there's a system, uh, and I didn't play around with it much. I, I'm mostly gleaning this from, like, having read the section in the rule book, but, like, uh, a bit like the Age Odd games, there's a political dimension to, uh, like, changing where personnel are assigned and uh, sort of redrawing your chain of command. Uh, that's a nifty thing, and I, I, I would, I think, totally be into the uh, a war game that maybe focuses a little more on that aspect of it, right? Call it the, the Ike simulator. You know, are you going to relieve, uh, you know, Patton for shooting his mouth off like an asshole again? Yeah, uh, that's, well, that's one of the great, that, that's a great, I think that's a great, oh, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to, to, to uh, affirm what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great, uh, part of of uh, of war in the West. Yeah. Too bad you have to decide where each plane is flying uh, flying its recon mission, right? And 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 don't say, oh, well, you can just turn that off because if 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 you can just turn that off, and if the answer is, well, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense, uh, you know, to do that, we can just turn it off. Then why do you have it in the game in the first place? I, yeah. I yeah. Um, 
the other thing I want I want to dig into this though because this is the really this is the really cool thing we've alluded to it, uh, but I really do enjoy not necessarily the way you do it in terms of interface and the, the actual mechanics of it, but like once you've learned how to do it, the way combined arms like amphibious invasions and airborne landings and the use of special forces to support those things, <laughs> the way this is handled is so freaking cool that again like if there's a version of this game that operates at a smaller scale uh more zoomed in and i can mm -hmm. just like micromanage the shit out of what a beach landing is going to look like and who's going to go ashore mm -hmm. where and when mm -hmm. i yeah. am so into that because there's some really cool ideas here uh that i'm not sure i've seen before um uh bruce you want to you want to take us into like how you, you've alluded to prep points that like units sort of sit ashore uh, and sort of build up uh, points that will determine how uh, how much attrition units suffer going ashore, uh, basically in a landing. But you want to take us through the entire like all the steps that have to happen before anyone moves ashore. Oh, <laughs> you. I mean, you have to. Um, gosh, I have to. You have to. You have to get the. So the amphibious. You have to have an amphibious headquarters, right? Yeah. And then you have to um, have to target a hex, as I recall. Gosh, I, yeah. I there's a bazillion things that go into it. And then you um, you, you basically you target the hex, and then you, there's there's hexes that that'll tell you can or can't uh, can't um, uh, invade. And then as you go, you know, as, as turns go by, you'll, you're going to get um, uh, prep points, and then you'll have uh, units that can be the of the amphibious HQ. Um, then you have your stuff. Uh, gosh, they, there's stuff stacked with it, and then uh, well, and you can attach even like ranger top. detachments. Uh, yes, who, like, right, and this is a right. cool thing too. Um, so it's not like you're managing every single location that you just go ashore, but you do have your uh, you have your landing zone that the amphibious HQ is targeted to. But right. if a uh, like uh ranger or marines detachment is assigned to that amphibious hq what mm -hmm. they will do is they will go ashore at an adjacent hex that maybe you couldn't even have landed at you like you couldn't target it with a beach landing oh, but right, special right. forces can go right. there too and the math around a beach landing is basically the more friendly units you have adjacent to the hex where your your main landing is happening uh, mm -hmm. your odds begin shifting pretty dramatically in your favor, which is why you really don't want to launch uh, an amphibious invasion without special forces uh, to get into those hard-to-reach hexes and just provide that adjacency bonus, especially yeah, like some point. airborne units, uh, a unit behind the beach, basically, a hex behind the beach uh, to provide yeah, that support. Yeah. I didn't know what you were getting at, but yeah, that, 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 yeah, I understand what you're talking about. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly the case. It, it sort of makes... It makes a, a mathematical case for a historical um, for historical reality. Yeah, I, I I like that treatment very much. But it is fussy to work with, right? The whole game is fussy to work with. I mean, that's 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 the game, right? And that's that's uh, you know, you're you're. I don't feel I don't feel that War of the East was this fussy. Uh, War of the East, you were basically worried very much about how much supply your headquarters uh, units had, um, and that was, you know, this is this is fussy. I think in a way, in a way that 
War in the Pacific kind of was fussy. Because there's a lot, this requires a lot of planning and build up and stuff that's, that's sort of invisible at, at some level uh, on the map until it happens, which is exactly how I experienced War in the Pacific, which is that you don't have uh, stuff until all of a sudden you have it. Uh, you know, you're stockpiling supply and you're getting, you know, ships in position. Then all of a sudden, boom, you're, you know, you're sailing ships over to this, to, you know, there you're going hex by hex and invading something. But um, uh, it's the same kind of, it's a very, it's a very war in the Pacific tempo to this kind of invasion thing. Where in, uh, in, um, in war in the East, you sort of just have a, have a sort of combat halt. And you bring everybody up and you repair your railroads, you bring your railroads up as far as you can, and then you know things get stockpiled, and then boom, you you break out again. You know, it's a very uh the the tempo of the campaign mirrors your sort of attention span, right? You're you're doing all the stuff and then it's like, okay, well, I'm getting kind of tired, and you're like, okay, well, our units are kind of running out of supply. So why don't we just kind of clean up the front and get things in position, and then when I come back after dinner, then um, I'll have more mental energy and we're going to do this again. Um, and it, War in the West doesn't play like that. Yeah, and there's there's such a world of difference between, like, I mean, this is naval naval movement, naval transport is just such mm -hmm. a, uh, a persistent challenge across, like, all game design, right? Like, if it's going mm -hmm. to become a meaningful logistical obstacle... It requires introducing a lot of systems that will feel either counterintuitive or fussy or or both, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of uh, more accessible strategy games and war games have uh, abstracted it entirely, right? Like, I mean, this is why right, you right. go back to Rise of Nations uh, and, you know, uh, somebody realizes, hey, transporting units just sucks. Like, it's, it's never fun. Um, but you kind of have to deal with that on some level if you're making a an authentic World War II game. Uh, but it becomes a major obstacle in a way that it never feels like that kind of there's there's no hard boundaries like that on the Eastern Front. Like you uh -huh. can you can absolutely uh rob uh Army Group Paul uh <laughs> to uh -huh. Army Group Peter in the South right. uh just by moving right. those panzers uh toward you know right. Army Group Paul in the center and right. that's that's it you've made your resource allocation and it's right there on the map it doesn't require in right. any any other systems uh really yeah. to, to engage with uh but you're constantly struggling against that um right yeah and the you alluded to it feels like a the operational art of war uh approach to design in some mm -hmm. places and I, I did get flashbacks to that uh particularly when i was playing the big scenarios uh, when mm -hmm. I was playing your sort of uh, Overlord time period or Summer of '44, you know, basically the the war the war in the West uh, after D Day or leading up to D Day, the length of those air phases and the amount of time I just spent watching the game run was also mm -hmm. just kind of a meaningful uh, obstacle. Like it kind of took me out of things because I wasn't. The screen was just flashing. It was like microfiche right. almost. Yeah. I wasn't mm -hmm. seeing what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yep. It felt like playing, um, you know how like you just feel less engaged when you're playing a computer at chess? Yeah. Uh, I got that feeling a lot from this game, just by the way those turns unfold and the sheer size uh, involved of watching the AI go through these motions or watching the air battle happen. 
Yeah, Troy, did you enjoy watching the air battles? Yeah, I've already mentioned that this is an issue for me. That you know, it's they, it's the opening phase, and you're mm-hmm. immediately confused because it yeah. does go happen very, very quickly. You don't know yeah, where the plane, you don't know where the plane's taking off from. <laughs> you're not even sure which planes <laughs> these are. Uh, so it's hard to feel engaged at the beginning of every turn when there's a bunch of crap happening. Maybe yeah. it's important. Maybe it's not. Um, and that's an issue. And I think this once again this would work better if there were smaller scenarios to prepare me to understand a lot of that information. Uh, which is why I like Sicily and the Tunisia one, uh, probably best of the whole thing. Even though t- the Tunisia scenario is kind of stupid. Uh, <laughs> why do you say that? Because you're just running in a straight line up this spine, and it's like they know where I'm coming from. There's not going to be any surprise here. They're going to be sitting there waiting with anti tank guns, and I just got to hope my air power eventually does the job, or I can, you know, push through and take their supply point. Um, it's not especially interesting. But that's me. I'm not a very creative commander. So, I mean,. You know, we, we sort of said like, is is there a version of this game that that, that works, or do you think the Western Front, real, the Western Theater, only really works if you're making those choices about where you're zooming the camera? Uh, like, is this is is this is this kind of just a folly uh, by its very nature? I I don't think it's folly. I just think that it's folly at this. I mean, there's so much so much depends on scale, right? I mean, yes, it's complete folly to do it at the scale. Uh, if that's if if you're looking for sort of a game that's going to be engaging, you know, all across everything, right? But but maybe that's not what you're looking for. I mean, you make maybe you really are making this. I mean, if you if you want to make a, a, a you know a world simulator where you get to jump in and and micromanage everything in the world because you're sort of you know living in that environment, well, that's you know that's a legitimate. That's a legitimate design decision. I just, it's not one that I'm going to particularly enjoy. Like, I think we had the uh, the discussion with Michael uh, just, gosh, you know, when we talked about uh, uh, modern naval operations, um, modern air naval operations, is that um, I, I really like focused designs where the designer's trying to tell me something, not uh, role-playing game designs where the designer creates a world and just drops me down into it to sort of play with whatever things I want. I'd like to, I like, I like perspective designs. I like uh, designs that have something to say about the thing that they're trying to represent. And uh, I think that you could totally do a war in the West game easily. You just, I think you would have to change the scale. I think you would have to abstract out certain things. Um, I think that it's in general folly to make a war game about everything that a certain situation had, because that's not designing a game, really. That's just, you know, that's just taxonomy and and and, and set collection, right? Just, you, okay, here's all this stuff. These things were there. These guys were there. You know, they, each of them, they had 10 rifles. They had 12 rifles. Put them all here, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, then it's a game. It doesn't, that's, that's, I don't find that, I don't find that particularly interesting. I would rather stuff get abstracted to the level that, I start making decisions that I find uh, historically meaningful. And I know that there are people that totally don't like that. They don't want things abstracted. Abstraction to them is is a toy. It's a contrivance. It doesn't, it doesn't 
it's a it's a separation from this reality that that they're trying to get at, which is fine. Just it's not doesn't don't find it particularly interesting. And 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 that I maybe maybe I did at one time in my life, but I just I I I absolutely don't have the um the mental bandwidth to 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 stay up all night at work and then come home and do all that kind of minutiae stuff. I, I I'm past that point. So um, we are all officially too old for Gary Grigsby. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm still not too old for War in the West. Oh, for, sorry, War in the East. That's the thing. War in the East. Never too old for Barbarossa. That's uh, right. That should be a slogan somewhere. So I'm curious, like, if I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, I really wish I'd played just a better take on some of these campaigns, a better a better version on this. Like, where do I go? You know what I mean? Like, War in the West Rhodes. doesn't work for me. Liberty Roads. Liberty Roads. That fantastic game. Amazing game. Uh, who makes that? Uh, Hexasim. Okay. Let me look that up. Yeah, Liberty Roads. Hexasim. Okay, but nothing on PC, really. There are no good games on the PC. Well, it's been great having you back on Three Moves Ahead, Bruce. <laughs> uh, it's always great to check in with you. Uh, no, but I do think I do think it is a yeah. gap that, like, um, it is it is concerning to me that like there are so few great uh, like campaign focused uh, PC war games. Uh, that that is kind of a frustration, you know. Like where, like where is the next generation of course and pockets coming from? Yeah, um, I think that the I think the cost of 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 production uh, maybe has has gotten beyond the. I mean, course and pocket. I mean, that you're so first of all, you got Roger Keating, you got Ian Trout. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's just there's there's not a lot of those guys. And the ones that There's are the, probably you know, doing Kickstarters or something on, on, on cardboard. Yeah, they're doing cardboard. I mean, uh, I mean, how many amazing, I mean, Dean Essig, Mark Herman, uh, uh, John Butterfield. I mean, you just, it's, uh, there, there are so many. Uh, why am I even, Kim Kanker, Ted Racer. Um, so many amazing uh, designers in this space. They just all uh, are... Uh, cardboard designers troy if uh do you, do you have anything for uh, for pc like it can be old like if 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 you if you sort of skip off if you glance off war in the west uh you can dig into the wayback machine but where 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 would you send someone um the guys who did the course and pocket game they made a good one i believe Uh, you're talking about battles for Normandy. Yes. Or battles in Normandy. Yeah. Yes. Battles yeah. in Normandy. And the yeah. decisive battles. Uh, battles in Normandy. Uh, yeah. That's you know that's a decade and a half old at this point. Uh, but I liked it quite a bit. Um, it's it has all of the good in it. Yeah, it's a completely different. It's a completely completely different way of designing a war game. Yeah, but it's pretty much just Normandy. It's not a whole strategic thing that takes you all the way through. Right. Uh, so if you want right. something like that, I really can't think of anything uh, in yeah. the last you know twenty years. 
Although yeah. at the end, the end, I think that it kind of it kind of loses the plot at the end, where like if you if you defeat Shermie, then you end up having having to fight Cthulhu. Well, I mean that <laughs> was, I mean that's that's what uh, Roosevelt and Truman desperately wanted to avoid. That's why they had to relieve uh, Patton uh, when they did. Yeah. That was Patton's plan all along. Yeah, it's true. Um, oh man, yeah, I think. Uh, it's tough. What's the what's the? Com- I thought it was named Commander World War Two, but the uh, the Commander of the Great War guys. Uh, oh, that's the, that's from the Lord's Game Studio. So Slogan's mm-hmm. yeah. in house, in house band. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm looking up because I can't find what their World War Two game was called. This is really frustrating. It doesn't seem to be on Steam. Okay, well. Panzer Corps. No, not Panzer. God, no. That's not. That's not going to no. solve the edge. But um, uh, no. yeah, uh, the game that made the Commander of the Great War. Um, I think their take on strategic level uh, industrial era warfare uh, tends to be tends to be pretty good and and cuts to the chase. Uh, but yeah. yeah, when are we going to talk? When are we going to talk about uh, Desert War? Uh, I don't know. When when are you next off a shift? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Probably never. Um, we should talk about that because uh, I think that that is that that speaks a little bit to uh, some of the problems that we have had here. Uh, but uh, we can maybe tease a, tease that as a future episode because I got a lot to say about that too. I've only, I've only started with it and it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. Also, didn't they just release some um, a pretty cool air combat game as well? Check, check six. Uh, you mean check six? Yeah. So if you went one by. When you say by really cool, you mean uh, visually uh, just representationally lacking, and no, I wouldn't use really cool. Okay, well, describing that game. Well, there we go. So sad news uh, and bad news for everybody on PC. Uh, there are, in fact, uh, no good PC war games. Uh, if you if you run across one, let me know though. I would always like to hear about it. No, he, he didn't say war games. He said there was nothing good on PC. He didn't just say war games. He said there's yeah, nothing I'll, good I'll on go PC. I'll go that far. Yeah, bring so, it. Let's go. Oh, feel PC is officially dead again. Oh man, killed yeah. by Bruce. Oh, it's dumb. Well, that's uh, that's that's pretty uh, dispiriting. That's not where I saw this going. Uh, but we just have to call it like we see it here on Three Moves Ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PC game. No, that, no fake that, news. That wraps it up for Paradox. We're kind of done. I now. think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh shit, we didn't even talk about. Like Hearts of Iron, uh, I guess would maybe be where I go because it tackles yeah, all those high level decisions, but doesn't smother you uh, in grading levels of detail. I'm not sure it carries off all those elements uh, as as well as it could, uh, though. Paradox games are always works in progress uh, to some extent, but uh, it's and, and and it also has a really good amphibious system that's finicky and fussy, but yeah, has all the prep stuff. Right, the prep stuff is yeah. something that game uh, does well, and and also like folds it into ground campaigns as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. once you sort of hit pause on a campaign and sort of need to um, tidy up the front, as it were, uh, Hearts of Iron has pretty good systems to deal with your next sort of wave of attacks. Um, doesn't work perfectly, but when it does, it's it's pretty freaking cool. Uh, so yeah. Um, that might be the other place I, I sort of direct people if uh, if 
uh, War in the West didn't quite work. Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion, and uh, maybe we'll get around to Desert War uh, sometime soon. Uh, Through His Head is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway. Also shop at Trader Joe's. All right. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Bruce, for Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Peace of gaming is dead. <laughs>